welcome to the Coaching Roundtable podcast. Uh, my name is Daniel Ferugia and I am one of three hosts and I'm joined by the other two hosts, Isabel Ross. Hello, you sound very um, peppy today. I'm super peppy. I just did a good workout, which I'll tell you about in a minute. And Ashley Drew. Afternoon, everybody. It, sound, it sounds to me like you've just had six coffees. <laughs> I have had one. Oh, actually, I've had a few Six. coffees. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recently he's bought some. Start adding them up, he's going to run out of fingers any second. <laughs> some new coffee beans that Ooh. were that really, good, really lovely, and um, the coffee's going down really well lately. Um, Tell us I'm more about the coffee beans from, because this is actually very important for running. Uh, it's it's actually look not sponsored by this um, this these coffee beans. It's a company that are, I think. Um, it may have originated in Sydney. Um, they're called uh, Campos Coffee. Are you familiar with them? Yes, I know Campos, yes. Yeah, it's quite nice. And Because I, I used to live in Sydney in Newtown, and they had, um, they had a little coffee shop there. It was like the place to buy. It was the only place you'd have real coffee, best coffee in Sydney. And, um, yeah, I just bought some the other day. I usually get sort of the local stuff, but this was pretty good. And so um, I've been loving my coffee. And so – and I've just finished – as I said, I just did a, my first proper um, sort of quality training session in in several weeks um, because I've had this issue with my shin. And I've, after seeing the physio, having some time off, doing some strengthening work, feeling so much better. And I feel like um, – so I feel happy. So I actually put um, executed a pretty decent uh, speed session and, alt, and I'm really happy about that. No, no pain. And, and I also find that speed sessions really um, make you feel good, even though they're hard. They yeah. are hard, but they get you to that runner's high a little bit quicker. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you the session, and I'll tell you where I got it from, um, because Isabel, oh, you both would have probably seen this, I did the session that was prescribed by Dr. Stephen Siler in a lecture just recently, yeah. um, and um, – it was the four by four, as in four, ah. minutes, oh, four minutes hard. Or was it in sort of zone five? Four minutes, zone five, which is pretty hard. And then I did a th- had a three-minute recovery and then did that four times. And um, obviously with a warm-up and cool-down. And it was hard. Like, yeah. And yeah. So it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like – it was close to max effort, but it wasn't was max. Say, that's very close to VO2. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a good workout, and based on the evidence that I tried to do it as close to what um uh, to Dr. Siler's prescription, and yeah, it was effective. I even considered like the last rep. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, and which is a but I still did it, and uh, so it was a good sign that I it was the right number of repetitions, and so but we, we'll go into I bring up Stephen Siler. <laughs> Because four times four minutes doesn't say it's like oh yeah that's that's doable that's not that hard but yeah yeah no it was hard it yeah, was, yeah. I, I believe you I believe you I, fully. I, I was in the in the puke zone I was I was very close to puking on the last one and nice. I got, um, yeah and I haven't been there for a long time in my training and yeah. my uh, my started to feel that and I think this is a good indicator for zone, your zone five efforts feeling a little bit hypoxic in the in in terms of which is like lack of oxygen to my arms do you get that feeling have you guys when you said i sort of start to get a little bit tingly yeah um sorry i missed the word you said hypoxic well you don't have enough hypoxic what a little bit giggly did you say tingly (laughs) tingly yeah so i'm I'm sure he felt a little bit giggly too yeah yeah no i was actually probably the opposite of giggly. I, I was um, <laughs> crying, a, a little bit vomity actually, but um, I, I didn't vomit. So yeah, basically it was um, yeah, it was a hard session. So running close to my absolute maximum in oh not abs- as hard as I could go for four minutes, you know, um, without having to walk. Obviously I could sprint for a hundred meters, but I wouldn't be able to keep that up. So it was yeah, it was a good session. I want to refine it. But I, like I said, bring up um, Stephen Siler because um, we there was a Stephen Siler. For anyone that doesn't know, you should be googling him right now if you're not running. Um, he's sort of like the or modern day. Or even if day, you are, just stop and Google. 
Yeah, yeah. You'll learn a lot from him. He's got some great presentations um, that you can find on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I think that it really puts into a lot of stuff that people know already, really frames it beautifully with great science and evidence, which, you know, which science is good. We live in such a scientific age where everyone listens to scientists and, um, and respects intelligent people. <laughs> I'm being... <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the case all the time. But I, I, on this podcast, we like to look at science. I think um, it's helpful. So, yeah. So, but what is the topic of today's podcast? Is it, who wants to tell the audience? The, the topic of today's podcast is yeah. what are the basic building blocks of a running program? So, we're basically looking at, in, in layman's term then, is base training. Yep. Excellent. <clears throat> So that's a good yeah, Okay, so do you want to explain what base training is then, please, Isabel? Well, base training basically <laughs> is... An overview? Um, yeah, an overview is setting the scene for your training. It's getting in the miles that you need to get in to develop your aerobic base. But, um, I mean, that's, that's it in a very basic nutshell. But what we want to get into is it's, for me, certainly when, when I think about base training, it's not just about logging long miles, long, slow miles, and that's all you do. That uh, Logging the miles is an element of it, but there are other elements to base training as well as we get our bodies ready for yes. the work that is to follow. It, but basically, it's, yeah, it's, it's getting the body ready for the work that is to follow, but there are it's not just long, long, long runs. There is other elements. And um, But, yeah, sorry go oh that's perfect and i just wanted to add to that it's also just it's about building athleticism and it's sort of the most non um it's the most non-specific part of your training that you know so mm. you know it's it is just a lot of people hear base i didn't know what base training was until i became a coach there oh, you go really well, I'm, no, I didn't have a very clear understanding of it. Do you know what I mean? I probably had done it a lot, but once I really got my head around what it was, because I think that many, and I look at it like building a house. Yes, um, it's the foundations. It's the foundations. You can't put a roof on just the foundations. You know, it doesn't no, work. No. You but know? you can't put a house just straight on the ground. And a lot of people want to get straight into, um, and I'll use one of, you know, those epic workouts, Silas' term. Yeah. People yeah, just want yeah. to get, because they're the, they're the big, sexy workouts. Get, oh, let's do the epic workouts. But if you don't have the foundational base, well, you'll either get injured or you'll burn out or, you know, a myriad of things could be happening. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Look, um, I, I, think, I think base training is a bit like everything in life. And that is, uh, as human beings, you know, if, if you need a, a vehicle to get you from A to B, you probably only just need the very basics. So mm. your base model car will get you there. But, of course, everybody wants to drive the Ferrari. Well, that would be the sexy workout. The fact is you need to just get miles in a car first before you can go and drive a Ferrari properly. Ferraris yes. don't even like to be in the traffic for crying out loud they actually hate traffic they're designed to be a race vehicle so yeah. they have to be driven in a special way so it is a matter of just doing the boring basics yeah. and do you and, know what what why who says the basics are boring i quite like love the just going out for a run <clears throat> that's all it takes it takes like it, and i think the biggest thing that people need to take away from from the whole from running in general distance running that changes take time. You need to be patient. Yeah. You can't, you know, um, you get your short-term benefits. Like, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit on a post-run high because I had to – I literally only finished in the last 20 minutes. Like, I've just walked in the door and I thought I've got to get back in time for the podcast. And then um, – so, yeah, you get that short-term high, which is great. But mm. sometimes you just got to do the – do the, the as you said, Isabel, the non-sexy work, really. Like um, – yeah. It's yeah, it's really interesting, uh, and like to go with your car analogy, Ash, I I um I always think of it like this: there's two parts 
two very like if your car if a person is like a car their <laughs> legs are like the wheels yeah. and um the engine is your aerobic your heart and lung you, you know yeah. so um if you but, put, but, but it also builds all the mitochondria and all that sort of stuff it, there's so much that happens during base training that it's seems like such a pity to give it a miss <clears throat> it's important yeah and uh, um the thing is with the car analogy so if you put big wheels on a car that has a tiny engine yeah. it's not going to go much faster it's no. not going to go much more economic it might you might actually get a little bit more speed because of the diameter of the wheels i don't know i'm not an expert however if you put a big engine in a little car it's going to go faster you know like yes so, um, yeah if you kind of put a couple of extra cylinders in there your car's going to go faster then you put the big wheels on and then you've got yourself a hot rod <laughs> you know or or a um in the case of an ultra runner like a long distance vehicle that you know but um so yeah which, that's in which case you just want to add a second fuel tank Exactly. We did. Oh, wouldn't that be good? I would. I would really love a second heart. That'd be handy. <laughs> um, for anyone who listens, who watches Doctor Who, the, the Doctor from Doctor Who has two hearts. Does he? So, I love watching Doctor Who, but I don't remember that. He, he or she? It depends on which episode you're watching. That's... Yes. Um. But yeah. So um. No. Very good. So let's, I guess, break it down. And should we? We we sort of. We're talking very ballpark about what this base is. And actually, I'm just going to start with yep. the – and then I want to throw it over to you guys. So St- Sila, my friend, who we <laughs> who, who are now after attending a Zoom uh, seminar, I feel like I know him personally. Um, uh, he One of the things that he's got, and it's out there, if you Google it, Sila's pyramid of um, – Sila's hierarchy of endurance needs – um, have you? He didn't actually have that in his research, um, but I'm going to Google. So it's a, basically a hierarchy of what you need to progress to the next level. Basically, if we think about the basic needs of a human, you know, it, there's a guy named Maslow. Um, you guys would be familiar, Abraham Maslow, um, who you know you, you can't move from one. We always start at the bottom of the pyramid. If you think, imagine a pyramid, and there's different stages, and yeah, the most if you go right to the bottom of Sila's hierarchy of endurance training needs, the very bottom of the pyramid you would look at is the total frequency and the volume of your training, as in how often you run and how much that happens. Like he even talked about frequency was sort of more important than, than the volume. So basically running a lot. If, you, if you're a person who runs 30 kilometres a week, if you – gradually build up to 60 kilometers a week you're going to see an improvement if you can do it gently does that sound right and then yeah so basically the frequency of training and volume is at the bottom then then he talks about high intensity training it doesn't mean you have to do a, a lot of that but that's an important level of the pyramid it's highly important but not in terms of how much you do of it and then he talks about training intensity distribution so that's where we get into our 80, 20. Yes. So we're looking at so 80% easy, 20% a variation of speed work. And then we, we're going to go, there's more specific stuff that we move up the pyramid towards the very top. But I'm not going to reveal that just now, but we might talk about it a bit after. But the most, the, the bottom three levels, you know, especially total frequency and the volume of training, I thought we might just sort of talk about that do any any of you want to jump in on there no that that sounds good to me i i would i i will add some stuff there for the beginner runners who are listening and that is if you can train six days a week but only run two kilometers in each training session that is far more important than running once a week for 12 kilometers absolutely i agree yeah. So the week I, I could go into the exact details of why that is, but to save everybody a massive science lesson, we'll just stick with if you can do it that way around. Yes, it will take longer because of getting changed and etc. But you will get a much better training adaptation and physical um, 
benefit out of running a little Absolutely. bit every day rather than running a lot once a week. Well, I think you're What do you think, Isabel? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, but you, you don't have to train every day. You could be training, um, you know, three or four times a week. That would still be fairly consistent, wouldn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. I think. Yeah, really- so I'm just saying I, my my thing was a generalisation that if you did once a week at 12 kilometres compared with six days a week at two kilometres, six days a week at two kilometres is better for you. If that means basically you want your training sessions less than three days apart so as that you are not just getting a change in synaptic. See, I'm about to get into the science lesson. So you're not just getting a change in synaptic um, adaptation, but you're actually getting a change in uh, metabolism as well as synaptic change and increase in fitness. Yes. Which which probably just went over everyone's head without studying it a lot because I abbreviated about six volumes of stuff <laughs> into a couple of lines. Well, that's so, what we did though. So, yeah. Um, but, yes, training – you need to train more often than every three days to mm, actually yeah. get physical change – rather than just neural change. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think um, you, you're right. In it, you know, anything, if you want to increase your training, so if you are a, a, a low, you've just started out, you get to a point where you're building up gradually, you know, very small incremental changes and in terms of the frequency, but the volume, you know, we, you know it's, I think it's a safe bet to go with the 10% rule, you know, I, you know, especially to, until you get to a point where you're running maybe four to six days a week. I, I personally think it's important to have a rest day. And I think Isabel does too. And you, I know you do Ashley, but you don't like to have a rest day for a personal reason. Or for Correct. Yes. Mine, mine is, a, I, I do, whenever I write someone a program, they have a rest day. For me yes. personally, if I rest, I end up in a lot more pain, and that's due to cancer. Normal people who are running don't have cancer, hopefully. So, yep. yeah. Yes. That, that's a pain management tool. It's not a best training tool. Mm. No, that's right. So if we were running, if I was running like, so if I, let's say I'm a beginner and I've been doing 30 kilometres a week, but I run, I just run three 10-kilometre runs throughout the week and that's my training and one of those let's say one of those runs i do i do faster and i but the other two runs i do i i plod so there's a case study for you so two runs where i plod one run i i go balls to the wall how's that what would you guys do with me there we go (laughs) training work Okay, so, so let's let's say we wanted to keep the thirty kilometers the same. Yeah, I I would probably keep the thirty kilometers the same, but I would actually change it around a bit, so I was that it was flat out for five kilometers, and I would move the other five kilometers over into a fifteen kilometer run to make a long run, and yep. then I would keep the other ten kilometer run as an easy run. So you would have an easy run at ten k's, a flat out run, I can't remember the exact term you just used, but a flat out run at five kilometres and uh, then a long I believe run. it was balls, balls to the wall, if I just checked the, the tape. <laughs> um, so, so and, then a, and then a long run at 15 kilometres. And I think you will find that that is actually a, a better approach for gaining yep. more adaptation rather than doing three lots of 10. But you yes. don't actually need to change the distance that you're accumulating each week to get increased fitness. That increased yeah. fitness will just come from changing around that distance. And it would be about the same amount of time per week as well. Might be a little bit more because it becomes a long run rather than a flat out 5K. So we're talking probably 10 minutes difference. I'd like to hear Isabel's thoughts on this one. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, ultimately, of course, I think I would want you to be doing more than 30Ks a week. But... Um, yeah. Pretty much I would uh, agree with um, 
Ashley, but like that that 5K flat out, I would like to maybe swap that around and do some different things, you know, like some sort of more interval style rather than just flat out every week. Yep. You know, like build and, and yeah, work different systems and that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, ultimately that I, I think you wouldn't want to change it so that it's not 10 kilometres each time because I agree with Ashley that different distances – is, is good, but ultimately, like we said, more than 30 k's is, is probably yeah. the goal. Okay, excellent. All right, let's say I want to build up to, let's say, like 70 kilometres, you know, which is still, which is I, I personally think is achievable. Um, how would we go from someone who's running, we, we've figured out the distribution a little bit better. Um, how would we go to stretching it out to 70 kilometers would i go 30 kilometers and then boom 70 or is that that's a highway in my mind that's a highway to an injury zone yeah. uh, so, so do you stick to the 10 percent rule like everyone talks about you know the 10 percent rule of only increasing <clears throat> by 10 percent each week um i a lot of evidence and i can't cite a reference reference right at this second but there's a lot of evidence that's saying between 10 to 20 percent increase exactly so that's it, what i'm getting at is that it doesn't have yeah. to be just 10 percent yeah yes but i personally if someone's like brand spanking you yes yes I'll definitely stick closer to the 10 percent rule yeah. and um so I would go, this is how I would do it. So let's say we've been doing 30 kilometres a week, most like a fairly moderate um, distribution, the way you said. And I would add, I wouldn't add much more intensity to begin with. I would, if I was going to be adding any mileage, the mileage I would add would be to the easy stuff. So I would go um, add an extra um, 10% for a couple of weeks to the easy stuff. Yes, and yep. then maybe, and then maybe, after the, a few weeks, possibly four to six weeks, I'd start adding a little bit more speed. But I think that you don't want to do it. You don't want to build your pyramid upside down, you know, um, if that makes sense. So we don't want to start putting too much speed. So yep. like speed was going to, if you well, did nothing but. We talked like, about we need to put the, the foundations down. <clears throat> yes, yes. So, um, so yeah, and I would, I would go up like that. So I, And I generally for myself and for people like coach, I will go, I'll do a bit of a, I'll do several what I call like um, chunks or blocks where we go, maybe it could be three to four weeks of building in terms of mileage. And then I'll have a recover. I'd like to put in recovery weeks. So where the mileage might drop by five to 10%. Um, and then that just gives their body a chance to, sort of rest and, and you don't lose fitness but just you're not stretch if you continually stretch yourself with mileage that's when you get injured so you gotta get have those, you, you you hear we live in the age where everyone's talking about the new normal i i want if 30 kilometers is your normal you want to gradually increase it so that 50 kilometers becomes your new normal so to speak um and so that's done through slow build like i think i could get someone to from 30 kilometers to 50 kilometers realistically um it would probably in maybe six weeks so, yeah yep yep so yeah anyway so mileage matters what else will we um what do you think ashley so after you do you wouldn't do anything so different I, there? i'm I, i'm i'm a bit different to you there i um there's a few things that I always like to know about my athletes um, when I get them, and that, and that is what does it take to break them? And that oh. sells that I don't break them. So okay. just knowing where the, the line is in the sand where they, they break down. So I'll go through a history with them. And if, if it's not directly in running, it might be in other sports or activities, and just find out what what was the straw as such that broke the camel's back to make sure that I try and avoid going beyond that. And that 10% rule, I think that that was probably something that's been taught at teachers college to every PE teacher. And since then has been passed on um, since the 1970s. I don't know when that actually came out. I'd, I'd love to know actually, now that we've chatted about it, where that came. But, but I, I do, 
I do yeah. find that it varies wildly from individual to individual, but I can understand it if you were coaching a team, you'd stick with 10% so that everybody's covered off nicely. Um, and then from there, honestly, to move from 30 to 70 kilometres consistently, I, I, for me, that takes like between 7 and 12 months to get an athlete to that consistently and being uninjured as a I, I found that as a general thing now if someone's done a lot of running in the past that might only take a very short period of time but they really need a lot of um plateauing and that's because yeah. between 70 between 30 and 70 and 70 kilometers it's as you go and increase the the distance it's almost logarithmic in the amount of impact it has on the body, particularly on the tendons. And it takes a long time for tendons to oh, adapt. Muscularly, you can adapt really quick. Yeah. But the other structures within your body and bones adapt really quick. But the tendons in the body have a very poor blood supply. And so they take a long time to strengthen. And that, to do 70 kilometres, takes a lot of strength. So it's a slow adaptation because of that. It's not that you can't get there aerobically and and you can't adapt to the fitness really quickly but to maintain that for a long period of time then it takes longer if you're just training up to that for a race for example or a peak where you're then going to stop running afterwards you can get there faster but if you want a career of running you need to take longer to step it up mm. <clears throat> yeah i wouldn't take six i i, I mean yeah i guess we'll I think maybe, yeah, I could probably stretch two months to three months. I could get someone up with, if we're taking out in, uh, intensity, take out the intensity, you could get, I think I could get them to 70 kilometres pretty um, sensibly without hurting them. But I, I do take your point um, that the longer that you can, you know, the, long, the longer the build, the better. You know, they, they say building um, fitness, endurance fitness, it's like steering a giant ship. It's not not easy. You got to it takes to turn for a giant ship to move to turn. It's a it's a, a monumental effort, you know, and it takes time. They they can't do sharp corners, you know. Like if you're, I'm thinking about like a big cruise liner or something. They can't take they can't turn real quick. And neither can our yes. fitness. And yeah. Yeah. Um. And so um. But yeah. But 10, 10%, 10 to 20%. So don't know, and, and I guess this, this is more for people who are just doing it themselves. All right. So what's the next thing we need to talk about? I think it actually might be important to look at um, heart rate. We've, I know we've talked about heart rate zones, but I think it's, in, it's, it's worth mentioning again um, about how – so, like, what does that – so what do these different efforts look like? So, you know, if we're going to – between running – super fast, super slow, somewhere, are we running slow enough? Are we running fast enough? You know, are you really running in zone five? Are you really running in zone one? What the hell is zone one? What, you know? Um, and how do people determine their zones? How do they, like once they've said, you, you, you look at the calculators and say, that's what it is. How do they, you know, um, because we're talking about, it, you know, what tests we need to do to find our actual zones to, do the calculations so what do you got for me isabel um I'm, I'm, <laughs> no no i'm saying that's what we need to think about yeah absolutely um, so we so, need to do some sort of time trial to um you know establish our different heart rate zones yeah and i mean there's a lot of technology available you know and i think that people i think a lot of people rely so much on their um, wrist-based heart rate monitors yeah, yeah, no. that are not, not entirely reliable. Um, I think there are better – if you've got a – I mean, first thing, I would always say chest strap is going to work better. They can be uncomfortable. But if you get used – do you guys wear chest straps very often? Well, I uh, would, but for some reason, I put a new battery in it, it works for one run, and then it doesn't work yeah. anymore. Yeah, so. that's – and I've had got two heart rate monitors, both brand new, that both do it. So I don't know what the issue is, but it's yeah. annoying. Yeah. Do you, Ash? Uh, so the answer is no, I don't anymore. I used to. 
but um, now that I've got a tumour that in the nerves that go to my heart, my heart rate's fairly unreliable. So I use uh, power instead. Power's good. Yeah. Power's excellent. But um, so I guess in saying all that, I still the heart rates are still important to know. You know, and you look at zones. Oh, much and, so. Um, yeah, and so heart rate's you definitely hear, still important to know. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, you hear a lot of talk about zone one, two, three, four, and five, and um, the so zone one being very low um, heart rate. So we're looking under sixty-five percent of your of your heart rate max. Um, so that's for some people that would be walking. Um, and yes, we do want to train in that zone a fair bit. Zone two um, is really like they call that's maybe a slow jog for some people. That's we're looking at about 65 to 75 percent. There's a bit of gray area, um, but yeah, basically you're going pretty easy. You should be able to have a full conversation, even like a yeah. No, none of this. Um, you shouldn't be puffing. So. Then we got uh, zone three. We're getting up into the sort of the high seventy to eighty percent, eighty percent range of um, effort. And zone three, as we like, what do we call it, Isabel? The the um, the grey zone. Yes, that's it. Yeah. The black hole. The black hole. So, we, and unfortunately, a lot of people do run in that zone far too often. And mm -hmm. I mean, you can't completely avoid it. Because I think in any run, you're going to cross through all of these zones at one point Good. or other. Yes, yes. But it's running in that zone all the time because when that's when it becomes an issue. But, yep, go on. Mm. So zone four, we're getting into above into the lactate threshold where things start to hurt. And um, if you look at any number of um, graphs online, it's it's sort of the orange zone. So we're, going, we're getting into that where it's starting to hurt. It's, you know... Um, we're over 85% of our heart rate max, or we're getting into that range. And then zone five is basically whatever you got left, and it's that's um that's in and of itself is a lot of paces. Bottom end of zone five, you're working pretty damn hard, and you can probably hold it for a couple of minutes at most. Top end of zone five, you might be able to do it for a minute. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so today I was really trying to get myself into zone five and you've really got to work hard you know um but yeah so those are the zones that's the five zone model there is a three zone model which basically just in how it's basically like this zones one and two would be known as zone one in the three zone model zone um three oh hang on it's it's a it's a bit tricky to cro the crossover is tricky um so basically, the zone one is easy. Zone two is sort of more of your your yellow or your grey zone, you know. Um, and zone three is anything from sort of zone four up uh, into zone five. In the in, if that's the crossover, sounds confusing. But anyway, mm, yes. we want to spend much of our time in. Can, can I many... can I reframe the zones for you? Yeah. So zone one, you should be able to. If you went out for a 24 hour, if you said, someone said to you, you've got to go and exercise for 24 hours, zone one is where you'd do it because it should be a pace that you think you could just continue to do nonstop forever. Yeah. Zone two, zone two is a bit faster than that. You can still hold a conversation, but you can't talk like you're holding a lecture. It's kind of one, two, three sentences, maybe a paragraph. Zone three you're starting to get to short answer questions. So if you get a question, you're going to answer it with, you know, a few words. Zone four to, to slash five, it's where you can hold your maximum pace for six minutes. And then zone five, it's a sprint. You, you can only hold that maximum pace for, yeah, 30 seconds. That's yeah. the different zones. Yeah. Excellent. We've established that. Now the distribution. Now Isabel has interviewed the the master of the distribution mm -hmm. on her yeah. very own podcast, Matt Fitzgerald. You want to yeah. tell us about that? 
Well, um, Matt Fitzgerald's written a whole book about this concept of the 80-20 running, and <clears throat> as in that 80% of our running should be in the easy, you know, easy-ish, basically, area, and 20% is that high-intensity, harder workout sort of stuff that we should be doing. Um, and unfortunately, not a lot of people, not a lot of the – well, it, it was more – they they researched elite athletes and they find that's what they were doing and yet <clears throat> the average runner doesn't do that the average runner does you know much more high intensity work not through intervals necessarily but through running their easy runs at a faster pace for the strava effect quite often <clears throat> the strava and, effect yeah, yeah. Mm. and so therefore they are not getting the adaptations, they're not getting the benefits of all their running as much as, say, an elite athlete who is more disciplined in ensuring that easy days are easy and hard days are hard and not muddying the waters by just making every day this, this the grey zone. <clears throat> yeah. As a, as a beginner, a lot of your easy runs will actually be walking. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yep. And and that means that 80% of your training will actually be walking, not running. And that's where a lot of people get the they think, "Oh, I'm a runner, I have to run." No, you're a runner to race running. If that's what you're trying to achieve. But 80% mm -hmm. of that means that you need to walk probably for most beginners, that is absolutely true. There is few beginners who, where walking is not actually their easy zone, where they can actually jog or run in their easy zone. Yeah. No, it, it takes time to get... If, I mean, when you get to that point where you can jog and truthfully be in your easy zone, that's when you can go, I'm doing all right. You know what I mean? So... Because then you can move, you know, with a low heart rate for a really long time. And the adaptations that occur in, those, in that easy zone, and Isabel, you mentioned it before, one of the biggest things is the uh, mitochondria. You're developing the mitochondria in the cell, which the mitochondria convert um, the, the food, yeah. basically, the, to energy. So it's basically, it's where food becomes energy. And... Um, to put it really simply, you're turning it into ATP, and um, we need. And that's and that when I think about the big engine, developing this big engine by running slowly a lot, you're developing more mitochondria. Therefore, yeah. you you can your cells are working. Your mitochondria is working better. You've got more of it. You're you, you're putting an extra cylinder in your car by doing that. You know, so um, into your engine. Yeah. So um, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, we've. I think yeah. we've. Uh, Mitochondria rely on oxygen to yes. to be built, and if you build, if you spend your time running, you're not actually using oxygen as your energy source, and therefore you won't actually build more mitochondria factories. And that's literally what you're building. Each cell can increase the number of mitochondria within the cell so the number of factories that are producing fuel can be increased but only when you're absolutely using oxygen as your fuel base if you're not using yeah. oxygen as your fuel base your cell will build a different factory to adapt for that yeah <clears throat> yeah that was it so excellent no it's good no, we, we're covering. I'm just we're trying to keep things as sort of as compartmentalized as possible as this. Yeah. Well, it's such it is complicated, and there's been so much evidence, uh, so much research done on how to be a better runner, and we want to sort of frame it best as possible. Um, so let's let's zoom out, and we've talked about our running slower, um, and so the the whole point of this was um, the increasing uh, improving our base training we're looking at base and how to um so i would say you mentioned about the person who's beginning and they, we want them to run lots in that zone one and two 
you know, we want them to be in that zone a lot. And one of the things that I would encourage people to do is um, if they, because they, you want them to run as well, even if it means, look, you can't, it's frustrating if they're all, you're like, okay, for the next six weeks, I want you to, to keep your heart rate in this zone. And that, if that means you've got to walk, that will be really frustrating for someone who wants to run because you're not training the, yourself biomechanically. You're not training yourself to run. You're, you're improving your fitness, but you're not getting your, the, you know, the, the movement of running. So one of the things I would do is incorporate things like strides into your, um, into the very early days. So, you know, strides are like these short, um, not all out sprints, but you you build up. You you might run for about a hundred meters tops, but it's not meant to train you aerobically. It's actually only meant to have an impact, sort of on your mus on the muscular. Well, it, it's working more than neuromuscular. Um, I was about to say that's yeah. that's increasing yeah. the density of your neural pathway. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like to incorporate um, short hill sprints, you know, 10 to 15 seconds with a with a full minimum one-minute recovery because only with that full one-minute recovery can you get the proper adaptations. So I, I, I like 100-metre strides. I also like very short hill sprints, um, like steep, yeah. steep hill. Even at the beginning, Isabel, like near the beginning of the program? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll start with strides, and after we've worked on that for a little bit, then, yes, I will add some short hill sprints. Excellent. Yeah. Do you, do you concur, Coach Ashley? <laughs> yeah. The, the thing with hills, hills just have to be done in such a way that you maintain your technique. So a hill must uh, Well, I'm always... talking 10 to 15 seconds, like, of sprints. Yeah, it's, it's not yeah. long. So the, I'm not talking three-minute hill your... rev. 10 yes. to 15 seconds and, and then full minimum one-minute recovery, like complete yeah. so recovery. A longer recovery. And that's another thing too. When you're doing reps and stuff, I know we talked, we jumped over you, Ashley, but when you're doing right. reps like faster stuff, the recovery needs to be longer than the bout. Whereas if you're doing something that's a little bit more like what I did today, you know, four minutes real hard, but I'm not a beginner. You know what I mean? And so you don't, you don't, I wouldn't prescribe this particular workout that I did today to a, a brand new runner, you know? So, but yeah, and those short sprint efforts, you want to have, give a, yeah. a good long, long, yep. yeah, long recovery. Sorry, Ashley. No, that's all right. It's, you, yeah. you're spot on there. You basically, Isabel's right in that you want to come completely back to a completely calm state. And the reason that you need to come back to that completely calm state is so as that your technique is never um, compromised. I use the word bad, but a little bit obscure. Um, yeah. Your technique's always spot on, so as that you don't end up with a mechanical injury while you're changing your adaptation to be able to run faster or further. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. No. Um, so yeah. So we've covered a lot of stuff. Should we just go through like a typical training week? Now that we've I, I, I'm happy to go through a typical training week or what I think. In base training, are you talking? In base training. In, in base training. Yeah. Let, let's. I just want to clarify that we are talking in base training. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so I'll build on that 30 kilometers that you spoke of earlier. Perfect. So yep. if someone's doing 30 kilometres, I, I, I think that that should be broken up into a, a, a single longer run, which that might be a single longer walk, as, as we said earlier, so a, a large portion of your training. Then there should be a little bit of speed work, as Isabel said. So the strides that you've been speaking of, over a short distance and then all of the rest should be recovery yeah well yeah not not just recovery but easy and and building mileage and you know yeah yeah so yeah so i i think a train i think a weekly training session should consist of majority recoveries and easy runs a long run and a sprint, a stride, or a tempo run. 
and a tempo run being a little bit more advanced down the program than the strides and sprints. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we'll get into that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, as, yeah. yeah, as we go further, we haven't even spoken about like threshold or. Um, yeah, 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 because we're only talking base training at the moment. And talking we'll, base. We, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the other things um, over the next few weeks. Uh, we That's what we were looking at doing. So yeah. if you're not listeners, we will go further on yes. this. But, yeah, just base training. So you, your classical type training, generally you see people do a long run on a Sunday because they have time. And if, if it doesn't work out on a Sunday, I, I never used to do long runs on a Sunday. It was always a Monday for me was when I did my long run because Sunday I always had something on. That interfered, yeah. but so one one day a week, it's like I said in your classic programs, they chuck them on a Sunday because that's when most people have time, and then they'll do a tempo or a, a speed run on like the Wednesday, and then on the other days of the week, Mondays is generally a day off after your long run, so most people take do a long run and have a day off afterwards, or two yep. days off afterwards. And then the other runs during the week will be spread out evenly in those other days to fill in, but they are easy walk, run, recovery type runs. Yeah. So, and a recovery run is generally less than 30 minutes. Yeah. Is it? Noise? Yeah. yeah. That's when you're, when you're in a classical program, they are. Mm, yeah. Classic marathon training, half marathon training. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I, yeah, all right. That's pretty good. What would you do, Isabel? Because I guess we just want to get, if people can listen to this and they can glean the best of all of well, us, you know, I mean, like. I'd, yeah, I generally go for a Monday rest day, but, you know, it could be, it, you've also got to, for me, I look at what suits my clients in their lives. Um, some people, yeah. you know, pre COVID days, Saturday was a kid's sport day, so that's better for them to have Saturday as a rest day, you know. Yeah. It'll, um, but a rest day is important. A long run, you know, um, and um, I would have strides. I generally would do speed work Tuesday, Thursday, so strides on a Tuesday, maybe, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe just the same again. Like in, in, in base training, I don't do a heap. Like, you know, we'll work up to a few strides, quite a few strides, but that's not really hard, hard work. I don't think you need to recover as such from that. The run itself, the cool down will be recovery from that. Um, and then, yeah, lots of um, uh, easy runs as well. So for me, I wouldn't be doing recovery runs per se during base training because it's not like you're needing to do – like I would do a 30-minute recovery run, say, if you were training twice in one day, morning was, you know, your high-intensity workout, and then in the afternoon, evening, you could do, yeah, a 30-minute shakeout run. That's fine. Um, but during base training, I think it's more just sort of getting mm. the miles in, building the um, aerobic base, building the engine, <clears throat> um, and getting all the smaller elements ready for the, the, the work to come, and that's what the strides do and the short hill sprints. And, yeah, I would probably pop in the odd um, sort of tempo, like easier tempo run as well just to get yeah. used to a steady state run, it can also be called. Yes. Yeah, well, I think well, that we define easy run and recovery run differently, Izzy. So yeah. for me, an easy run and a recovery run are one and the same. Well, then, so what you're saying, you're, you're saying a recovery run is no longer than 30 minutes. So if I do my strides on, on Tuesday, which is maybe – let's say 600 metre strides, then the next day I'm only going to run 30 minutes. And is that building a base? Yeah, I, I, I think for a beginner that is, yeah. For a very, very beginner, maybe, but, um, yeah, I still think you'd need a little bit more than building up to more than 30 minutes. Mm. What do you think, Daniel? Uh, no, it's um, the way I, I would like call a run a recovery one i think a lot of it's just semantics but like in a lot yeah. of way in the traditional sense yeah it's a recovery run is 30 minutes um yes, i yes. yeah and i i do 
like if someone's if it's after a race or something like a few days after they've had a rest day or two i would do the recovery run um no more than 30 really minutes like i feel like run, are we yeah but um but anyway we're not talking about you know but in a in a in this kind of context i would have i would want i would qualify a recovery run probably only two times a week you know and that would be after anything I would do a recovery run after my longer run. And obviously if we're only still on pretty low mileage at the moment in this base phase, the recovery run is essentially just part of your mileage. It's not, but like a long run counts as an intense run. You know, when you start getting your long runs that are getting up over 90 minutes uh, in duration, that it's, that's a, putting your body under more stress. Even if you're going slowly, like, and you go for three, four, five hours, that's, so you oh, need to yeah, recover. Definitely. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so I would have I always will follow a hard, intense session of any kind, even if I did strides, the next oh, day. Yes. Next day would still recovery. be easy. Definitely would be easy. easy but as, yeah. But I think just the Yeah. And I think um and th- but I think if you're staying keeping your pace super easy, um yeah, like I do most of my running really easy. One of the things I do do in um, even in my what I would just call an easy run, let's say I go out and do an easy 10-kilometer run, I, I would encourage people in the in the latter half of that run to throw in what I call some yeah. surges as well, you know. So it might be just pick up, just little pickups throughout the run, maybe half a dozen that go for maybe one or 200 meters not as fast as strides even, but just a little bit faster than what you're doing. Like just pick it up to by 30 seconds per kilometer and then back it off, you know? So if you're someone who runs your easy pace is six and a half minutes per kilometer, pick it up to six, six minutes per K and then back it off. Just in the, you know, you're not putting your body under too much stress and strain. You could possibly, and as you get further down the, um, the fitness path, you can um, those those surges become can become either a little bit longer, or they can become a little bit more intense. Yeah, you know. But generally, I'm always thinking running shouldn't hurt. You know, no. there's yeah, you know, it shouldn't be. So if you're if you're running your easy runs and they're hurting, you're going too fast. So yeah, and so today was was a hurt a hurt run, like it was a bit painful. I really enjoyed it because I was I felt ready for it. Um, so yeah, so that's pretty much it. I, I would incorporate strides into a maybe three times a week, being like five a maximum of five strides per um, per run. You know, so if I do if I did so that's fifteen strides in a week, which adds, starts to add up. But I I wouldn't even start. I would start someone on one one lot of strides. And then the following, or maybe two weeks later, I've been two lots of strides, two as in, yeah, and you know, and just go from there. So, um, we you, because they're super important, helping with your technique and um, yeah, the neuromuscular connections, and yeah, long run, easy, easy. Don't be afraid to go easy on the long run mm-hmm. or on yeah. There's the long run should, I mean, really, unless, I mean, sometimes within the program, certainly when I was marathon training, I would have a long run with, you know, a, a progression run where you pick up the pace, you know, every five kilometres or something. But in general, the long run should be easy pace, like, you know, conversational pace. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's good. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, that's basically, there's not a lot I do. It's, it's basically... The biggest takeaway from base training is the greatest adaptations occur, and the and when we say adaptations, the fitness benefits occur when you are able to train consistently for a long time. Yeah, you know, there's no no um what was what do you call those workouts? Those um Sila, he called them epic workouts. Epic workouts. I call them the sexy workouts because people sexy work. They they look awesome, but really, yeah. Unless unless your fitness level dictates yes. it, you That's know. Right. And, if, and if you have to have 
three days off because you absolutely destroyed yourself in your fitness mm. workout, you're doing it too fast. And there is such a thing as too fast for your your um, your fast sessions. So um, yeah. these epic. So the the most epic thing you can do is be epically consistent. <laughs> so. And I look at people like um, the, the great runners uh, have that intensity discipline. You know, they have that ability That's to go, okay, the run requires me to run easy. Yeah. I'm going to run easy. The run requires me to run at this set pace. I'm going to run at this set pace. Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of people take that idea as like, well, I've got to run as hard as humanly possible. That's true discipline. But it's not. That's yeah. a, it takes toughness and that comes later. You know, so yeah. Yeah, no, discipline is the is the big um is the big part of it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But um I think I don't know, what else have we covered? Have we got anything else that we want to cover in this base training thing? Because I feel like we've covered yeah, I, I I'll add something to the conversation that you've just been having there, and that is during base training or during, you know, your general training load, you want to finish each session with the knowledge that you have to do yeah. another session the next day. Exactly. And you have That's to be so prepared important. for the next session the next day. And, and you have to I feel that you're like, capable of it, yes. Yeah. I always like to finish a session with the thought that, okay, with a little bit of fuel now, I could do another session. Yes. Yeah. And if you finish like that, then you will yeah. be prepared and happy for the next day. You can actually be able to run again the next day, but mentally fatigued too. So you have to be um, – this is during the base phase. There are different training sessions where you actually want to be both mentally and physically fatigued for the next session. For example, ultra running training when you do back-to-back -back long runs. Mm -hmm. But yeah. in base training, you want to finish a session with enough energy and with a little bit of fuel added to the tank, you'd be able to do another session. Yep. What is that I session agree. you talking about? Easy sessions or? I think all sessions should be finished in that way so that you could, at a push, do oh, another yeah. session. Yeah. Now, it, it would be I, a push. I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying that it's, you know, a walk in the park like you're just starting the first session. I'm saying you could do another yeah. one. You don't want to end a session where you think, okay, I've got to go and lie down now for five hours and I can't physically move. That's That's not completing a session Correctly. to your advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, <coughs> could not agree more. I think um, I, I quite often say to my runners, in is particularly in regards to easy sessions, I will say, um, let's say I've sent them out for an easy 10k or 15k or whatever, and said, look, the the focus of this run is just to run easy, and we're building mileage. Yeah. And when you get back from that run. If I said, go and do it again, could you, you know? Yeah. And that means that's how you know you've run easy enough, you know? Like um, if people, if, if you get back from a run and you're tapped out, you know, you have gone too fast. Speed sessions, I feel, are a little bit different. Like if they're doing, if like, and you're probably not even going to do these in your, um, what do you call it, in your base phase anyway, a, a, a session where you just absolutely have to leave it. Like, I don't think I can no, assess No, see, I that. still even think then you should finish it feeling that you could do one more rep. Yeah, I suppose. I, I mean, I... You shouldn't be smashing yourself, like, smashing yourself really ever because it just takes too long to recover and it just means you're working too hard. It shouldn't be that hard. You should, in, the, in my mind, you should finish any kind of interval session. Yes, you're working hard, but feeling like, mm, I could do one more rep, but I'm not going to because I've created the adapt adaptations and I'm going to now move on. <clears throat> yeah. Good point. Well, today's session, as an example that I did, was four by four minutes. Mm -hmm. In the last two minutes of the last rep, I looked at my watch and I thought, I cannot wait for this to be over. I can't see myself doing – I couldn't do another one. But once I finished that rep and my heart rate returned to normal, even yeah. though it's finished, I thought I could do another rep or two if I needed to, but I was starting yeah. to really, I was, and I could have done them at probably at a very similar pace. There was, and that's another thing with when you're running fast, when your pace starts to suffer, no matter how much you try, that's yeah. when you've done enough. 
you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. But anyway, we've gone into that. So yes, yes, but, and we'll get into that more when we get on to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about that sort of interval stuff next week. So today yeah. we really looked at the the big picture of building the base. And the last question I want to ask both of you: How long is a base training session? A training well, uh, phase. Depends on how, how long of time you've got before the yeah. race. Yeah. The lo- the, honestly, the longer the better. Yes, I agree. Yep. Yeah. Most of yeah, but it depends on what uh, what you've got to work with. That's yeah. exactly right. If someone if someone came to me and said, "I want to run a race in five weeks' time," yeah. You know, the fact <laughs> is, in five weeks, in five weeks, the longest run that they're ever going to do that they're going to get an adaptation from would have to be done today. Yes. Um, because everything else after that, they are not going to get an adaptation from that is going to benefit them for a race in five weeks. So it's like studying. The, lo- the, long- the further out that you can start training for a race, the better off you're going yep. to be because you're going to be able to get more base training done with a coach. Exactly. Um, and, and then there's, there's also the thing that a lot of people do, you know, a lot of people will spend time with a coach and then they'll move on to what they call a maintenance program, which is basically a base program that is designed to hold your fitness level. Mm. Um, the, only, the only problem that I personally find as a coach with maintenance yeah. programs is people get bored of them pretty quick. Yeah. So they need to have variety within them. To, to take away the boredom factor. But if you've suddenly got, you know, we all have a life outside of, of running. And so you might find that, you know, you've trained for an event, but then you have a massive workload because of a project that has to be done over the next three to four months. So you just want to keep that fitness. Well, you'll move on to what's a maintenance program. And that maintenance program is realistically a base program designed to keep the previous fitness you had. And as long as it keeps you excited enough, then it will do its job. Yeah. But, you know, I think, and there's no, there's no, I don't think there's such a thing as a true maintenance program. Um, I think that if you're training consistently in that maintenance phase, you're going to get fitness. You're going to improve your fitness. If you're training. I, act, I do yeah. totally agree with you. Yeah. And so I think it's, I feel like calling something a maintenance phase is actually quite depressing <laughs> because um, I, I believe in recovery phases. I believe in, um, yeah, like in race specific phases where you're getting closer to a, a certain type of run, but there's no real, setup. I don't know, like the only way you have a maintenance phase is if you're more or less detraining, <laughs> you know, but um. I, and yeah, so anyway. Alrighty, well, we, I think we need to start sort of wrapping this up. Wrapping, yeah, put a bow in it. It's been, a, yep. I think, covered a lot. Um, yep. So next next week's um, topic will be more, sort of building on top of this, building on top of the base, so to speak. Yes, putting ice <laughs> up. Yeah. Um, just quickly, some Ashley, did you have any more, um, were there any more reviews that you got that you wanted to give shout-outs oh. to? I'm sure there is. Hang on. While one of you is, is discussing yeah. something, I will look up podcast reviews. How good I'm is sure yeah. that we have more podcast reviews. I was pretty getting um, some good too when I looked. <clears throat> no, it's really so good. You guys keep chatting. So, what's what's a highlight that you guys have had this week, training wise or otherwise? I've got one to announce in a second after what? I figure this bit out. Well, my, tra- my training highlight, everyone knows, is that the fact that I could go out and do a, a decent interval session and I pulled up well from it. So I'm, I feel like I'm back and I can, because I haven't done a great deal of running over the last few weeks because of uh, my shin. So I'm pretty happy about that. How about you, Isabel? Um, I have to admit there's not been many highlights in my life at the moment with ISO 2.0, yep. but I have registered um, as part of a team um, with some Canberra runners for um, the Run Against Violence um, challenge, and we're going to be doing 1,300 kilometres in one day as a team. So I'm going to be – this is on Sunday the 30th of August, so I'll be um, doing 65 kilometres that day. So, yeah, so that's something to do. So it's, awesome. a, it's a cumulative thing, so each individual's running. Yeah, so as our team – cover 1,300 kilometres in a relay. 
well, it's not a relay. We just have to right. do it in one day. So we can do it at different times or the same time. Um, we just have to do a total amongst our team of 1,300 kilometres. <clears throat> well, that yeah. sounds very exciting. Yeah. How many so people in the team? How many were in the team? Sorry? How many were in the team? Um, we're aiming for 20. We're, we'll have to see. I might have to end up doing more than 65 kilometres. That's fine, you know. But that's the, um, yeah. at the moment. I put it on you. You're the, <laughs> you're the fit one. 65, you, that's a, just a weekend long run for you. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, well. So just, one of you, the just se- you just need seven of you doing 175 k's in the day. That's it, yeah. yeah. Um, I can't no, see um, um, reviews. Ashley? Okay, so we'll I'll, I'll read a review of now that we're ready yeah. for that. So we have a, a yeah. new review here. We are maintaining our five out of five star rating, I'd, I'd like to add, which is excellent. Brilliant. So, um, who is the extra review from? I've got another one here from Jen. Where Where are you Jen. seeing that? I am reading this off you Apple Podcasts. Oh, okay. There you go. So, amazing, informative podcast. Love wow. listening to this podcast. All the presenters are just normal runners like the rest of us and are really reliable, relatable. Probably reliable as well, but we are relatable. Keep up the great work. And then uh, there's a, a runner and then a mountain, then a runner in emojis. And is there a name? Thanks. Jen. Jen, Jen, of course. No, Jen, you're a legend. So, thank you. Yes, thank you, Jen. And, and uh, uh, keep, keep the reviews coming, guys. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's lovely. It makes us, like, feel happy, and uh, if nothing else. And so, um, yeah, and next week, I guess we'll end it here, and next week we, um, we'll have more to talk about, hopefully more reviews, and we'll get deeper into the training um, talks. We will. Now, I, I was going to add something there, and that is uh, next yes. week I will give out a website where people can sign up to uh, receive a weekly email newsletter from me uh, which will be about training, productivity, uh, et cetera, and I'll be giving away uh, training programs. So um, that right. I will give that away from next week. So something to look forward to then. So you'll have to listen again next week to find out where to sign up. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Alrighty. Well, good to chat. Okay. See you later. Bye.